book of Colossians. Our text is on page 984 in the church Bibles. You'll remember the context we're looking at here. Uh, false teachers had come to the Colossian church and were telling them that holiness came about through various rules and regulations, ceremonies. That's the way you became more like Christ. And the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to the Colossians to tell them, no, the, the way you become more like Christ is by being first raised with Christ. It's a spiritual power we need. You've got to get that straight in your minds. And once you've got that straight in your minds, then you've got to act like it. So you've got to take off or put off the old way of living, sexual immorality, divisive talk. You've got to put off those clothes, and then you've got to put on a new set of clothes, um, the, uh, the love, the humility, forgiving one another. And you do that in the context of the one body, this, this new person, this one body of the church. And uh, that is through Christ, by Christ's uh, rule, through his peace, through his word, and in, and in his name. And now, of course, though, the question, you know, that sounds sort of religious, you know, it's all churchy. What about home? What about work? And so we come to what I think is probably the most unusual Advent reading ever. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 18 to chapter 4, verse 1. Let's hear God's word. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward you are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality masters treat your slaves justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven this is God's word amen Well, rather than that lengthy introduction this morning, I'm just going to tell you where we're going. Here's where we're going. We have here six ways, six ways to make the holidays holy days at home and at work. Six ways to make the holidays holy days at home and at work. Here they are. First, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. How dost one preach this text? I want you immediately to notice that this does not say, husband, tell your wife to submit to you. So guys, you cannot go home and say to your wife, hey, the Bible says submit to me, therefore go and do the dishes and blame it on me, because that's not what the Bible says, all right? This verse, in other words, is not meant, so it's not the way the Bible's meant to be used. This verse is not meant to be used to browbeat your wife and bully her into submission. That is not what Paul is intending, that is not what is fitting in the Lord, that is not pleasing to God, that is not the right way to use this text. This verse is directed to the wives, not to the husbands. I want you also to notice the key condition that Paul gives. He says, as is fitting in the Lord. And actually that condition runs throughout these six instructions, as we'll see over and over again. In the Lord, as is fitting in the Lord, he's putting out this theme of by the power of the risen Jesus. So now it's in the Lord, as it's fitting in the Lord. 
And so Paul is saying that the way to be holy is through the power of and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore Paul does not mean that a wife must do whatever her husband says. You know, a husband could ask his wife to do something plain wrong, immoral. That is not fitting in the Lord. I want you also to notice the word submit almost certainly doesn't mean what perhaps you think or what at least many people today think it means. Most people today think that the word submit means to be subjugated by, controlled by, under the thumb of, dominated by someone else. That's not what it means, certainly not in the context in the Bible, in the overall theme of what the Bible means. None of that is fitting in the Lord. None of that is what the Apostle Paul must mean here. Surely, this is the Apostle Paul who elsewhere clearly teaches that men and women are now equal in Christ. So it cannot be removing that uh, prior principle. No, the word submit has the sense of placing yourself under, for sure, but therefore supporting, holding in high esteem, looking up to, following the leadership of, therefore. Now, why is that? Well, here's the truth. The truth is that men need to be respected by their wives. Now, I can tell you this, having pastored you know, a lot of people over the last however long it is I've been a pastor, good 25 years or so, that there is something in a man. There's something intrinsic to what a man is. I know there's a lot of debate about that these days, and I certainly don't have the time to get into that, but experientially, practically. There's something intrinsic to what a man is that that thrives on, runs on respect, and it is respect that is the fuel that he needs to be what he is called to be. And I I think when you you think about it, you understand this. Men instinctively understand this about one another. They relate, men relate primarily, not by affection, uh, but uh, primarily by respect. Um. Or look at it the other way around. If you want to start a fight with a man, just publicly disrespect him. There's an easy way to do it. Conversely, if you want to build up and strengthen a man, then publicly respect him. Say publicly, I think so-and-so is doing a wonderful job. You'll build him up. And wives, Paul was saying, respect your man, honor your man, lift him up, support him. What does that mean? Well, it means things like this, not talking over him in public. You know, you see a wife who is constantly cutting her man off while he's talking in the public space, interrupting him. And you wonder why that man feels belittled and isn't living up to his best um, uh, possibilities. He's been cut at the knees. It means uh, things like telling other people, uh, your friends, your friends who are women, not not the things that annoy you about your husband, but the things that are honorable and respectable about your husband. You can say, oh, that's great, he does that. Of course, there are things that annoy you about your husband, and he's a sinner too, but you you don't publicly talk about those things. You talk about the stuff that's great about him. Now, before we move on, Um, we have to have a word here about the hard cases, pastorally. I cannot move on without that. What if you are married to a man about whom there is very little that you can, as a Christian, in good conscience, respect? What do you do then? 
Well, remember what Paul says, as is fitting in the Lord. So he's not asking you to pretend that your man is what he is not. Nor is he asking you to submit to things that are ungodly or not wise or not fitting in the Lord. If you are in that kind of hard place in your marriage, then I encourage you to talk to a pastor and prayerfully seek godly advice advice as you talk to a pastor. The the truth is, as um, Tolstoy famously put it, happy families are all alike, but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And so Paul here is showing the way a a happy, godly family works. But when that family breaks down, it can break down in any number of ways. The beautiful vase or vase of a a godly family looks a certain way. That's the way it looks. But if it shatters, there's no way of predicting the the different pieces it can break into. And if if you feel like your marriage is, is breaking down, what you need is prayerful wisdom as to how to put it back together into the shape that Paul has for it. Talk to a pastor. Figure out how you can... Have a marriage that is, is as is fitting in the Lord. Second way we can make the holidays, holidays at home, you know, in the real kind of world of home, is in verse 19. So husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, what, why, what Paul is doing here is he's addressing a tendency or temptation in husbands. So whereas a woman is tempted or has a tendency not to esteem husband, a man has a tendency to be angry or to demean or not to adore his wife. You see, it's easy to say, I love you. It's harder to love your wife with humble service at home, yard work, dishes, taking out the trash. That's harder. Women long to be adored by their husbands. Husbands adore your wives. You may need sometimes to do it as an act of will rather than of feeling. But Paul does not say you must have romantic feelings about your wife. He says love your wives. And you can put love into practice even if you do not feel love. And often from the practice afterwards will come the feeling. A wife needs to know that she is the apple of her husband's eye. And this means things like not oogling or staring at other women. I mean, how, how would that make your wife feel if you go out together on a date and you spend all the time staring at the waitress? Keep your eye on your wife. Love her. Adore her. Be romantic towards her. Serve her practically in love. And you say, what does love mean? Well, if you want to know what love means, you can read verses 12 to 14 of this very chapter. These are the virtues we're meant to put on, which Paul says are all held together by the harmony of love, this musical melody of love, kindness, humility, patience, compassion, forgiving one another. Notice that particularly. You know, I, I think the six most important words in a marriage are these. I am sorry. I forgive you. You can get through anything if you use those six most important words. And that comes out of love. Love your wives, men. And he says, do not be harsh with them. What does that mean? It means um, don't say things that are angry or nasty or negative. Don't shout. Don't storm around like some bull in a china shop. A man has physical and emotional power. Speak gently, speak kindly, 
Don't, don't spend all your time complaining that the food is not the way you like it or, or the decor is not how you want it or she, she isn't doing this, that or the other right. Don't be harsh. Love her. Make sure you say more loving things than critical things and no harsh things. Here's an idea. This Christmas, make a note card. Write on it all the things that you love about your wife. Put it under the Christmas tree for her to open on Christmas Day. All the things you love about her. Third, here's the third way to be holy this holidays at home. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. So if you are a child that is still living at home with your parents under the age of 18, then you have a responsibility to obey your parents in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Now this is of course different for a three-year-old than for a 15-year-old. And wise parents gradually release the reins of obedience so that the child can learn what it means to be an adult as they go through teenagers and then become an adult living on their own but uh, we have a responsibility us children to obey our parents in a way that is pleasing to the Lord now again Paul here is not dealing with hard cases there are times it's possible and certainly I have come across such times when a parent asks a child to do something wrong or is even abusive towards a child now none of that pleases the Lord But if your parents are Christians and if they're acting in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, is honorable and sort of good, then as a child, our responsibility is to act in obedience. What does that mean? It means things like if you're asked to go to bed, then go to bed the first time of asking, not the second or third or fourth. It means things like if you're asked to do some household chores, then doing those chores without complaining. It means things like if your parents give you advice regarding your homework from school, listen to that advice and take it seriously. They, they may well have done that kind of homework before themselves. It also means that you have a motivation to do all this that is bigger than merely pleasing mum or dad, who probably sometimes annoy you. No, as a child, your motivation for obeying your parents is that it pleases the Lord. So a key expression of your faith in Jesus, your worship of Jesus, your desire to please Jesus is to obey your parents. You know, children who grow up to do well in life tend to be those who have made the most of the opportunity to learn from their parents when they were young. In most cases, your parents want what is best for you and want you to do well. They, more than anyone else in the entire world, have your best interests at heart. And they want you to become the best possible version of yourself that you could be. Now, some parents, as we'll see in a moment, do not parent well. And there are hard cases that go beyond Paul's simple little description of how things should work in normal Christian situations. If you are in a hard case, that is, you're being asked to do things that do not please the Lord, then set up a meeting with a pastor to help you figure out the right approach at home. But in most cases, your life will be best served. You will thrive most in life if you learn to obey your parents, even when they say things that are difficult for you to hear. 
They want what is best for you and are trying to fit you for, prepare you for a world outside where you will not get loving, caring critiques, but people who are sometimes out to hurt you and damage you. And you need to therefore first learn from your parents how to live in this sometimes hard world outside the home. So children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. This holidays, for instance, if there is some bone of contention between you and your parents, try to see if you can remove that conflict by obeying. Tidy up your room. Do your homework on time. Study for the next semester when you're asked to do so. You know, you'll be amazed at how the spiritual atmosphere at home changes, how how what is pleasing to the Lord permeates through the home, how we're all improved spiritually as a result of simple obedience to godly parents. Well, the fourth way to make the holidays holy days at home is, though, in verse 21. Look down with me at this. Fathers do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, why does Paul here only address the fathers? Certainly not because he doesn't think the mothers are also involved in parenting, for he's just, in the previous verse, talked about children obeying parents, not just a parent. Now, Paul here only addresses the fathers because it is the father's temptation to not do what a father needs to do in this regard. Fathers, men, can be angry. They can push their children. They can be the harsh disciplinarian. You wait till your dad comes home, you know. They can demand too much of their children. Or they can use their words to demean their children or belittle their children. There can be a tendency for men to use their anger, work out their frustrations at work, at home, Uh, the angry male lion sort of persona to provoke their children. And the result of acting that way is that the child becomes discouraged. They are dominated by their father, not trained by their father to be able to be an adult on their own in their future. Sometimes families uh, like this uh, can look perfect when the children are young, Because the father sort of throws his weight around and makes sure that everyone looks right and acts right. But what happens later, all too often, is that because the children are discouraged, two things occur. They either rebel or they become unable to take initiative as an adult themselves. They either rebel against the provocation and find their own way of being and become their own kind of rebellious adult, or they stay constantly infantilized with, uh, uh, with still little children with, with a sort of dad voice in their mind dominating their every move unable to be who they were designed to be they do not have the courage the strength the inner resolve to set out on life and be who God designed them to be now if you've experienced that with your own father maybe you had a bad father or like all of us you had an imperfect father Let me encourage you to seek an older godly mentor figure to draw out from within you all the potential that God has for you. Well, fathers, you provoke your child when you lose your temper for no good reason. 
You provoke your child when you demand they behave in a way that is beyond their capabilities. You provoke your child when you insist they do what you want with their lives rather than what they are meant to do. That's provoking. The opposite of provoking your child is shepherding your child. That means discovering who they are, caring about how they've been made by God. It means watching carefully what they're good at, not what you wish they were good at. It means making sure there is spiritual content in the home, Bible reading and prayer. It means encouraging them. Fathers, you have an extraordinary power to lift up your children by pointing out the things that they are good at and telling them they are good at those things. So this holidays, fathers, how about making a list of the things that your children are good at and telling them that they are good at those things? Put time and training into what they are good at so they can develop strength in those areas where they are naturally gifted. Pray with your children that they will grow in their relationship with Jesus and become more like who Jesus wants to be, them to be. Don't provoke your children or you will discourage them. Instead, encourage them so that you will motivate them to follow Jesus and serve him in the way that they were designed to do. Well, these household instructions, Paul now shifts from the family to what we would call the working world. And so the fifth way of being holy these holidays is now regarding work, verses 22 to 25. Now, as you look down with me there, you'll see that there's a context here that I don't have the time to get into this morning uh, regarding ancient slavery, the difference between that and the racist kind of antebellum slavery and the abuse of these texts here by slaveholders in the past. Paul is not supporting slavery by these words. In the book of Philemon, he encourages a slave to be made free. And in 1 Corinthians, he tells slaves to get their freedom if they possibly can. Now, the way this text most naturally applies to most of us is in terms of the working relationships we have in the working world, and that's how I'm going to apply it this morning. There are key principles here about how to be holy in the holidays with relation to our employment. Uh, He says, we are to work not with eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart or with our whole heart, fearing the Lord. Now, what that means is that your job as an employee is to work for Jesus. You don't work by way of eye service. That is just when the boss is watching. Because Jesus always sees what you're doing. Fearing the Lord, you work hard and do your best at all times with sincerity of heart. That means things like not fudging on your expense account. It means things like uh, if your supervisor is out for the day, not using that as a chance to do as little as possible, but instead work just as hard as if he was looking right over your shoulder. It means uh, not gossiping about or undermining your boss, thinking he won't see because God does. It also means, though, that you're free from the uh, approval of people. You're not a people pleaser. Sometimes, of course, it can be hard at work when you feel like you don't get the positive feedback that uh, you deserve or you're looking for from your boss or your manager or supervisor. You think to yourself, don't they care? 
Does no one notice all that I do? Well, I'm afraid the hard answer may be that your boss doesn't notice what you do. But God does. And ultimately, you're working for him. It means that your job is important to Jesus, whatever your job is. You can be a lawyer for Jesus, just as much as a pastor for Jesus. And there is a motivation, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as a reward. Now, we we don't often think about rewards in church. It seems sort of legalistic or anti-grace or something. But there is a reward for faithful Christian service. Look at it like this. When God rewards your work, he is rewarding Christ's work in you, and yet by his grace you are rewarded for it. Amazing. It's a bit like if a starring football quarterback receives a trophy. There he is, he's got his reward, but he immediately runs off and finds the coach who has trained him ever since he was a little boy and says, this one is really all for you. And so we give God the glory when he rewards us for it is his work in us, and yet by his grace he still rewards us. Now, think about that when you're struggling in your job this holidays. Think of the eternal reward for your faithful work for Jesus. He notices. He cares. And one day you will be rewarded with joy in his presence forever. But not only is there motivation, this reward, there is also a warning that acts as a comfort to those who are in a bad working situation. Paul says... For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. You see, ancient slavery could be relatively benign. Um, There were actually doctors, physicians, and teachers who chose to remain as slaves as part of honored families. Could be like that. But it could also be horrendously, disgustingly, degradingly evil. Well, today, work can be great. A good boss, good pay, well-treated and appreciated for your work. And there can be vicious office politics, mobbing and bullying, reputations damaged through gossip and slander, not to mention all the sweatshops there are around the world today. Paul is saying that such wrongdoing is also noticed. Advent, you see, this season of Advent is not only about the coming of baby Jesus, it is also looking forward to King Jesus' second coming. And when King Jesus comes again, he will not only bring his reward with him, but also his judgment. Where there is, Paul says, no partiality. That is, his judgment will not be based upon human prestige and power, but only on God's perfect justice. So if you are in a terrible situation at work where you are perhaps being abused or slandered or mistreated, know that that not only will there be a reward for your faithful service to Jesus, also the wrongdoer will be paid back for any wrong he or she has done when the second advent or coming of Jesus returns. Jesus returns. And if you are doing wrong, then turn from it. Put your trust in Christ that he would raise you up and give you the spiritual power you need to follow him and be saved from this judgment that is to come.
Or finally, as we look at these ways to be holy, these holidays at home and at work, finally, sixth, we come to the bosses or the employers, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says this, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So we're applying this to the working world, of course, as I've already said. So if you have staff or you have employees or you're in some way or other a boss, then you have a responsibility to treat your staff justly and fairly, Paul says. What does that mean? It means things like making sure that they are being paid a fair salary. Too often bosses try to cut the bottom line by paying their staff as little as they can get away with while still keeping their staff. But Christian bosses have a responsibility to ensure their staff are being paid fairly. How do you know what is fair? Well, what we do as a church is we compare salaries in similar-sized churches across the country to give us a sense of what we are paying our staff and then add in other factors like the cost of living, get consultation from other outside bodies to ensure we are doing what is fair and right and just. Now, there are more subjective judgment calls, like how someone is performing in their job. And there's probably no exact objective standard to know for sure whether someone is being paid fairly. The point is that we should be aiming to ensure that someone is paid fairly, rather than only paid what we can get away with paying them. But treating your staff fairly goes beyond salary issues. It's the work environment and the kindness and respect with which staff are treated and in this consumer economy where the customer is always right we all have staff in a sense what about the pizza delivery person do we treat that person fairly as a person made in the image of God and someone who we can reach for Christ what what about the cleaner or the person who bags your groceries at the grocery store, or the person who cuts your hair. Do you just ignore them? Or do you treat them as Christ would want you to treat them? Do you treat them in accord with how you would like to be treated by your master in heaven? Well, as I said, this is probably not the most typical of Advent texts. But it does show us how to be holy these holidays in six very practical ways related to home and work. And I can tell you, at the holidays, it is the season of the year where there is more pressure on home and work than any other time of year. And so as we close, let me give you four brief, specific ideas as to how to put these, uh, these six ways into action over this holidays. First, if you are a wife or husband, father or child, and I guess that covers us all, would you take a step towards bringing your attitude and action into line with what Paul teaches here by asking the other person whether you are acting in this kind of way? Husbands, you could ask your wife, am I being loving or being harsh? 
Wives, you could ask your husband, am I being respectful or undermining you? Children, you could ask your parents, am I being obedient or disobedient? Second, though, perhaps you are in a very difficult family situation. Let me encourage you not to give up this holidays. Often over the holidays, people reach a breaking point. They're not sure they can take it anymore. The seasonal expectations of perfection clash with our real experiences of imperfection, and we're just not sure we can keep on going. Let me encourage you to keep on going. Don't give up. Don't give up. Instead, make an appointment with a pastor and begin a journey to bringing your family and your work more into line with what God has for you. Third, for those who are not yet married and long to be married, would you ask God to provide you with a spouse? I don't mean saying a quick prayer this morning. I mean making a daily request. Kneel before God and specifically ask him to make you the sort of person that you need to be to be married and to provide you with the person he wants you to marry. And if you are single or you remain single, remember that Jesus was single, as was Paul who wrote these words. There is an honorable and very important role for single people in this church. Fourth, would you take a three-by-five card or a small piece of paper and write on it, working with all my heart for the Lord, not for people. And then place it above your desk at home or your desk uh, in the office or, or put it on your fridge in the kitchen. Find a way to keep that text in front of your eyes to remind you that you are working for the Lord whose eyes, the loving Lord, whose eyes watch over you as you work. For, as Paul emphasizes, it is all for him and all by his power. That is the thread that runs throughout this passage. It's repeated actually seven times in these eight verses. All for the Lord, as is fitting in the Lord, for the Master in heaven, over and over again, he's emphasizing that the one who, this advent, we remember, will one day come again. It's for him and in his power that you this year can make the holidays holy days, both at home and at work. Or as our closing hymn puts it, over the hills and everywhere. Well, I'm going I'm to pray now, and then we're going to sing. Would you stand with me as we pray? And uh, you might want to find your worship folder. We're going to pray, and the musicians are going to come out and, uh, and then lead us in this really rousing rendition of Go Tell It on the Mountain. So get ready for that. It's going to be fun. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do want to tell all about you, and we want to live for you. We pray, Lord, that our, 
our life and our words would uh, speak of you, the Lord who has rescued us, both at home and at work, over the hills and everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen.